situation for RoboCop as he makes his way to the ring. Oh, gosh almighty. He's pulling that door right off the hinges. Woohoo! What strength by RoboCop! Man, you want a piece of him, Horseman. Look at Owen and Harn and Big Sid back up. And the expression on their faces say, what the heck have we got here? Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. On this episode, we are talking about movie stars in the ring. And no, that is not a movie. It is um, all about movie stars who entered the wrestling world. Yes, indeed. So this is what you find under your tree after the holidays. We are christmas out, and so we didn't have time to watch a full movie, but we thought we'd talk to you about a bunch of movie stars that we've seen show up in wrestling. And believe it or not, I think a lot of people are going to be surprised at the amount of people who show up in this episode. Now, let me tell you a little backstory about myself. When I was a kid, my grandparents watched wrestling, and they loved wrestling. My grandparents were born in Italy, came to this country, both of them as adults, and so they were people with thick accents and very, very foreign uh, ideas and mannerisms. And they liked wrestling. And so I thought wrestling was something only old Italian people watched. And so we would sit there all the time. I was babysat by them all the time. And I would sit there with my grandmother and we'd watch, you know, old wrestling matches, you know, in the 19, early 1980s before the rock and wrestling connection. And I would sit there and go, this is the most boring thing I've ever seen. And we would watch this over and over. And, and Rocky Johnson would be on. And my grandmother thought he was great. And Andre the Giant was on. My grandmother loved Andre. And, you know, Ivan Putsky was on. My grandfather thought he was fantastic. And they had interesting beliefs. It was my grandmother loved any of the silliness that they did. Any kind okay. of stuff where maybe they chased the ref with a chair or something. She loved that. My grandfather loved that stuff, too. But he was much more into seeing, you know, a real hard-hitting match. You know, not a high-flying match. That was all silliness to him. He wanted to see guys really hitting each other really hard. And they believed it. They believed it was real. And they believed it was real, and they taught me that it was real. My dad would say, no, that's all fake. And I even remember my gym teacher telling me it's fake. And I'm like, well, I don't think my grandparents are wrong, so you people are all goofs. Uh, but I thought I was watching this horrible show where these big people hurt each other for no reason. And I remember watching it one day where Andre the Giant was getting his hair cut. And Bobby Heenan's in the ring, and they're cutting Andre's hair. And I remember just thinking, oh, my God. That guy is so big, they, they can hold him down and cut his hair, which to me at the time was the worst thing ever. Now, whenever I see that it's a title match versus a hair match, I'm like, wow, I'd rather keep my title and lose my hair. But at the time, I thought this was shocking, and I started to be a fan of wrestling. Now, shortly after this, the rock and wrestling connection happened, and this is where I became a fan of wrestling and the main reason for this was because the star of one of my favorite television shows, one of my idols, Mr. T, was coming into the World Wrestling Federation. Do you remember this time? Were you a fan? Yeah, I think, you know, we started watching around the same time. I remember watching wrestling prior to the Hulk Hogan explosion and all of that and having a very similar feeling. I remember watching it with my dad one, one day and just seeing 
uh, Bob Backlund at ringside doing the step test. <laughs> yes, going <laughs> up and down the steps. You know, during other matches and stuff like that. And, I mean, you know, Bob Backlund was a great wrestler, but he, he didn't have the best oh. look and he didn't have a lot of charisma. And you, I think you explained it pretty well. I mean, there was a point where wrestling really didn't have a lot of, you know, excitement for people our age. Especially, yeah, for people our age then. Little kids – that wasn't the show for them. It was a, it was, it was a time when you go back and you watch those old matches, you look in the crowd. I watched a WCCW match today from 1984 and there's all old people, a lot of gray hair, a lot of women with their dresses on and their, their, their dark rimmed glasses sitting there holding their purse in the front row. Yeah. I know a lot of times uh, when I was, when I was growing up uh, and MSG would, would air, cards you know that had taken place at the garden and i think mm-hmm. wwe on demand or classics on demand have since replayed a lot of those and i think yeah you look at the crowds for some of those events and they're very different than the type of crowds you're going to see today yeah it really is so what was your thought when mr t showed up on wrestling oh it was it was an amazing moment because you know i i was another one of those kids that loved you know, Mr. T loved the A-team and seeing those two worlds collide was just so exciting. I remember I was at a, uh, a school event when I was a little, little kid and they brought us outside and they showed us the fire trucks. And I can still remember what this fireman looked like. He had a mullet and I thought he was really, really cool. And he was chewing gum as he told us about the fire truck. And I was like, wow, this guy is so cool and so old. He was probably 19 years old, you know, <laughs> but to me, he was, you know, he was 40 years old and he's telling us about the fire truck and he shows us, you know, they blast it off over the field. And he's like that, you know, I could never do that if you were standing in front of it, because it would knock a person down. It would knock any man down. And about five hands went up and he said, yes. And one kid said the exact thing that I was thinking with my hand up and the exact thing that all the other kids were thinking, would it knock Mr. T down? And he goes, yes, yes. Even Mr. T would be knocked down by this, this pressure, high pressure fire hose and the entire crowd, boys and girls, you know, all about, you know, six years old or whatever, when <gasps> mind blown because <laughs> <laughs> a human being could get knocked down. But but Mr. T. Yeah. Now, Mr. T appeared WrestleMania one appeared WrestleMania two. We talked a lot about this when we talked about Rocky three several weeks ago. And he also made some appearances with WCW. He did a lot of stuff where he was hanging out with Hulk Hogan. It was, you know, he was tied to Hulk Hogan and Roddy Piper's legacy. And he had that weird match with Kevin Sullivan, which was which was odd, as well as a match in WCCW, which I actually was mentioning earlier, which was world-class championship wrestling out of the Sportatorium in Dallas, Texas, with the Von Erich family. And there was a brief moment where I think Mr. T was in Texas for something else, and they they had him on the show, and then they made a whole several-week storyline around this. At this time, they would shoot if it was, and I don't know how WCCW was, but I'm betting it was the same deal. If WWE was in your town at the time they were WWF, they would they would go to your arena. So if they went to you know the the Madison Square Garden, and they're doing they do superstars. They do some segments for primetime wrestling. They do another superstars. Then they do wrestling challenge. Then they do another superstars. So you'd see 
like the next five weeks of wrestling over the course of one night. Yeah. And, and actually, Bret Hart talks about it in his book, um, which when we did his episode, I couldn't remember the name of it, but it's called My Real Life in the Cartoon World of Wrestling for Great those uh, who were interested. Um, but he talks about those TV tapings and those went on all day. Yes. And he said at the time that he was wrestling for them, this is before he had really broken out. They wouldn't provide any food backstage. Oh my goodness! Oh yeah, because so they be there for eight to twelve hours. You'd wrestle multiple times. Yeah, yeah, no, you'd wrestle multiple times. I had a friend who went to one. I never went to one because they there was no internet, so you didn't know what you were going to. So when I went to a card, it just didn't happen to be one of those. And my friend went to one, and he saw the uh, the whole lineup where they had. Andre the Giant on Piper's Pit over the course of three weeks go from good to bad. And he, he would tell me things like, oh, yeah, I saw Brutus Beefcake come out, and then I saw the next week, and then I saw the week after that. And so, you know, you'd hear, you know, all these stories, and there was stuff where guys would be like, oh, last week we did this. And, and as, a, as a kid, you'd be like, well, but it, it was 20 minutes ago. How could, you, how could you say it was last week? Isn't this real? That's amazing. So that was Mr. T. He had a, a wonderful time in, in WWE and also WCW, WCCW, even did some refereeing stuff, which would have taken off had he not gotten a TV series and been pulled away. Uh, he speaks rather fondly about his time in wrestling, um, but he has said he won't be in the Hall of Fame. Now, this year... They're going to be in New York, and they're going to be at Madison Square Garden where he wrestled. And so there's yeah. a lot of rumors that he may be in the Hall of Fame. I am crossing my fingers. I hope it's true. Uh, but last I heard, he said he, he doesn't need it. Uh, he is a wealthy guy and, and doesn't uh, – the WWE doesn't pay a lot for that. If For anybody that doesn't know, they like Drew Carey and all those guys, they get very little money to go into the Hall of Fame. It's a, it's a, it's a really, really tiny bit of money they give. That's why Honky Tonk Man has refused it. He hasn't refused it like Bruno does, where he says, I don't want part of it. He's like, hey, I'd love to do it, but I think I can get more money on the independent circuit during the time period I'd have to spend waiting to get my award. Yeah, which is, if you think about it, a little short-sighted in the sense that the, the, the one night of going and getting inducted into the Hall of Fame for a guy like Honky Tonk Man would raise his exposure to a whole new generation true. of fans who don't know who the Honky Tonk Man really is. That is true. Now, Mr. T, I will say, uh, following his career, and I am a huge fan of his, I cannot tell you how big of a fan I am of this man, but I can tell you that he tends to work. He does a lot of commercial work. He just did an Old Navy series of spots this year. And he does stuff where they'll pay him a lot of money to work for a short period of time. A lot of, you know, that kind of stuff rather than movies and TV shows. And the reason is because there's more money in it. And he, I, I think his thing is he doesn't like to work. He likes to spend time with his granddaughter and his family. And so if he can go work for a little bit and then spend more time with them, all of that is bad news for wrestling fans for the possibility of him being in the Hall of Fame. Plus, apparently, he felt a little slighted when Pete Rose got in ahead of him. Justifiably so. <laughs> sure. So, and I, I think the only reason that Pete Rose ended up in the yes. WWE Hall of Fame is because of him not being allowed to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Right. 
Now, David Arquette, we talked about him a couple weeks ago when we did Ready to Rumble. David Speaking Arquette. Of the Hall of Fame. Now, that's a guy that deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm sure they'll put him in one day. WCW champion, Ready to Rumble, a film that really at least capsulized a period of WCW for people to watch. And there is a guy that that uh, really, really had an impact, good or bad, on a company that was on its way out. Another guy that had an impact on WCW was a guy who you wouldn't think of as an actor, but he has acted, Dennis Rodman. Yes, and Dennis Rodman, he wrestled for WCW multiple times. He was, you know, in the headlining match on pay-per-views, and I mean, he was almost an active wrestler from my memory. Yeah, he was wrestling for WCW for two years, which is a huge amount of time. I mean, that's a long time. I know for, you know, in the scope of things, you say two years isn't that long. But just think about Think about WrestleMania two years ago and WrestleMania today, how big of a gap there is, you know, how big of a gap we're coming up on Royal Rumble. The, you know, go back and look at who was on that card two years ago. A lot of those guys aren't around anymore. So yeah. that was a huge period of time. And he was he had just been suspended in 1997. Right before he did that, he was suspended from NBA. Uh, you know, there was a whole conflict with him, which is Far more, uh, far far more detailed than I want to get into. But he took up his hobby of pro wrestling and became a part of the New World Order. Yeah. The NWO. He was one of Hogan's guys, and he was in uh, a big feud with Randy Savage. You know, he he uh, did a lot of a lot of great moments, a lot of terrible matches. Yeah, but I, I will say one thing about Dennis Rodman as a wrestler. He was one of those celebrity guys that came in. And, and and not to say, you know, speak ill of, of like Lawrence Taylor or somebody like that who came in for one match for a paycheck and left. But Rodman, I recall him doing, um, you know, leapfrogs in his matches and stuff like that. I mean, he was pretty physical. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. He, I mean, he was an athlete. He was an yeah. athlete. Do you know where he was born? I'm throw, I'm putting you on the spot on this, but do you know what town he was born in? You, you don't know, obviously, or else you'd say it. You yeah. and I are both uh, from New Jersey. We're both New Jersey residents. Yes. He's from Trenton, New Jersey. No. Dennis Rodman, born no. May 13th, 1961 in Trenton, New Jersey. I had no idea. I always Isn't thought he was maybe from the Midwest or something. Wow. Yeah, yeah born in Trenton. Uh, he he had a very interesting WCW career. Do you remember the uh, the pay-per-view he had? It was one of those Road Wild pay-per-views where everybody gets in for free as long as they're on a motorcycle at Sturgis. And he fought <laughs> Randy Savage, and, and he dumped a porty potty over uh, with Randy Savage in it, and I'm pretty sure it was a legit, real porta potty Oh, no, at Sturgis. Uh, uh, yeah, there's some bad... Bad news going down. Do you? uh, I know you and I saw this, the uh, Rodman Down Under pay per view, which was. I have the DVD. I was looking at it right before we sat down to record this episode. (laughs) This is this was I Generation Superstars of Wrestling, July thirtieth, two thousand. He he fought against Kurt Hennig in an Australian Outback match, and this DVD was released at Walmart as a dollar DVD, so I had to pick this up, and a very cool DVD to check out. And so that was 2000, so we're talking 97, 
to 99 in WCW, then continuing in 2000, and then he appeared again in 2004 on an episode of Impact. So this guy's been all over wrestling, and the connection to him is not just NBA. He did a few movies. Uh, Simon Says, right? Is that one of them? Yes. And the one I love is Double Team. (laughs) Yes, which he actually, I remember a promo with him and Hogan. They were talking about uh, they were going to be uh, headlining a main event of a pay-per-view and they were going to be tag teaming. And, and Robin came on uh, and said, we're going to double team, we're going to triple team. Double you team, know, and he was basically team. name dropping his movie, but then he went too far. <laughs> did you did you see that movie? Double team, yeah. I, you know what? I'd have to pull up his filmography, but I think – if it was a Dennis Rodman movie and it opened in theaters, <laughs> I saw it and I probably saw it with you. Yeah, that is very possible. I I know this one. I took I had a day off from work. It was like, you know, for whatever reason, I had either a scheduled day off. Maybe it was a holiday weekend or something. But I went to go see this for the first time. And I say the first time because I saw this multiple times. And bought the bootleg VHS tape, which I'll get into in a second. But I went to go see this, and the projector broke during the movie, and we got free tickets. And I remember everybody, this was about halfway through the movie, the projector broke, and they were like, oh, you know, it's going to be back up in about 15 minutes. And everybody said, if we come back, do we have to see this again? And the the, the guy was like, no, you don't. So most of the people in the theater just got up and left. Just figuring, well, I'll go see something better. <laughs> and so they just left and didn't see the end of it. But I sat around to see stuff like a parachute with a basketball imprinted on the top of it. <laughs> this was him and Van Dam, and he's you know works in this tattoo parlor and has all kinds of expensive guns and all kinds of fancy stuff. Very very funny. You know, if you're looking for a lighthearted Van Dam style action film. With a with a goofy guy who appeared in WCW, this is this is your best bet. I would actually rank this only behind one Van Damme movie in terms of goofy Van Damme movies that are worth seeing. You want to guess the other one? Uh, knockoff. <laughs> yes, it's a knockoff. I love Knockoff. I would put that above this. Knockoff is my yes. favorite goofy Van Damme film. There I are a couple of really that. good Van Damme films, but if you're looking for the goofy stage of his career, that is it. That's the one to go for. And now, actually, really quick, getting back to Rodman, there was one other wrestling-related thing he was involved with in 2008. Hmm. I wouldn't call it pro wrestling by any stretch, but do you remember the uh, Hulk Hogan Celebrity Championship Wrestling? Oh, right. Yes, the reality show. What did he do on that? He he competed. Uh, It was an eight-episode run. Uh, other wrestlers or other celebrities who competed on it were Todd Bridges, Mm -hmm. Dustin Diamond, Danny Bonaducci. Butterbean, Frank Stallone, oh. and Dennis Rodman went on to win that. Um, he beat Butterbean in the final match, and he became wow. the whatever the WCC or the CCW champion. It's not fair though, because this was a guy who had legitimately had a wrestling career prior to this. I, I well, yeah, it would be like Frank Stallone showing up on America's Got Talent and winning that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, uh, Frank Stallone talented singer dennis rodman had actually wrestled i mean that's not that's not really fair but yeah, that is put, interesting you put robin in the ring again danny bonaducci what do you think's gonna happen <laughs> i i do know todd bridges had like a funny hat that he wore into the ring and i know he tried to wrestle for a while after that i don't know if he's still doing it 
I know I never saw an episode of this. I This show was on my on-demand for a long period of time. And so it was about maybe a year after the show ended that, that it was going to go off on-demand. And I said, you know what? I'm going to record all of these on DVD. And I did. And the DVD is still sitting on my shelf. I've never put it in. Not at all. Yeah. Um, I don't recall watching this either. I mean, it ran for a very short. It was eight episodes. It ran from uh, basically mid-October to early December. So it was one of those, if blinking, you'll miss it. And this shows you what a failure it was, because if there's a target, target audience for this show, it's you and I. Yes. And we didn't watch it. Yeah. Uh, I do want to mention, I had the bootleg VHS of this. I would go to New York City, and there was a guy <laughs> on the corner of 55th and 5th, and I'll never forget this. He had a newsstand, but if you asked, he had bootleg VHS cassettes. And so I would go there and I'd say, what do you have? And he'd bring them all out and he'd hold them out and say, which ones do you want? And you'd cross your fingers that they, they wouldn't be blank. Because once in a while, he'd sell you one that was blank. Now, if you went back, he'd give you a replacement for it. But odds are you wouldn't get back before so long had passed that you wouldn't remember to do it. Yes. But I went there and I remember, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say, what do you have? And if you bought, it seemed like whatever amount you were buying, he'd give you one free. So sure. I learned that over time. At first, I'd be like, let me buy eight. Can I get one free? And then, you know, later I found if I bought three, he'd give me one free. Because bottom line, he wanted to get rid of the older titles, the ones that were closer to, to the debut. I hope I'm not going to get in trouble for this. I think the statute of limitations yes. is gone. And, and this may be parody for all for all the FBI knows. And I but, think as the buyer, you're you're completely in the legal clear. I hope so, but I don't want to have to draw a sketch of this guy. I don't remember him. Well. I got I got to tell you, one of my favorite um, VHS bootlegs was, and this is completely off topic, but I cable think, guy. Well, no, the cable guy. Um, not that which was very good, but the Big Lebowski. And I remember. Do you remember what was unique about this one? It had the, um, the score. I, yeah, I guess they hadn't cleared all the music yet. Yes. And so they kept using Bob Dylan's The Man and Me over, over and over song. and over again. Yeah, it didn't matter what song it was. That was the only song they had the rights to, so they dubbed that over top of it. The Cable Guy I really liked because the bootleg, every time Jim Carrey showed up on screen, the crowd was so into him. They were like, yeah, and they clapped. And so you'd hear that on the tape. Yeah, those really are a, a, a sort of a lost thing. I mean, it seems like bootleg now, uh, they're all inside jobs where either, you know, somebody that works at an effects house. Right, you they know, get you makes a pristine copy. They put it on the Internet and everybody sees it. I have no interest in that. Zero. No. I well, would much rather, yeah. I don't want a torrent. I'll wait two weeks for it to come out on home video for real. <laughs> Exactly. The turnaround time is so small now. And you can see it, you know, very inexpensively in your home now, very soon after. But at this time, there was a, a, a big, long window, usually about three months. And so the 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 bootleg copy of, of, of uh, this movie with Dennis Rodman and Van Damme, the camera was right under the screen looking up at Double Team. And so all of them had gigantic chins and really pinheads. And there's one scene where about halfway through it cuts and the guy relocated to the back of the theater. So now we're in the back of the theater. So we miss, I don't know, a minute or two of the action. So since I had seen it before, I would always be like, oh, yes, this is where that scene happens, where they're walking around talking about stuff. But they relocate to the back and then there's a scene where they're kind of sneaking in one place and they're all kind of walking kind of sneaky, you know, like leaning over. And then there's a guy walking upright behind them. And I was like, what is that guy doing? 
and he's carrying a bucket of popcorn, and then he just sits down. And I was like, oh, that's just a guy that was in front of the camera. <laughs> that was uh, a very good time. A bad time for WCW was when they had Jay Leno in the ring. Yeah, I think the only good thing that came out of Jay Leno's involvement with WCW was that the money that he um, that he made off of it, he donated to charity. Yes, that that is true. Jay Leno had done some movies prior to becoming the Tonight Show host. He was a comic, and like a lot of comics at any point in time, but especially in the 80s, they tried to make him a movie star. There is a movie with him and Pat Morita called Collision Course, and uh, he's in it. I mean, you know, it's fun. It's a neat curiosity, especially if you're a fan of, of Pat Morita like I am or Jay Leno. You know, it's it's worth checking out. But he decided to go into WCW, and this this came about because – they did a whole cross-promotion where uh, Hulk Hogan and Eric Bischoff took over The Tonight Show, and this had to confuse all the old ladies in America. I can't even imagine. I mean, and this really shows you why WCW ended up where it did. I mean, the amount of money that they were spending to compete was just stupendous. And once Ted Turner got tired of them, um, that was it. Yeah, I think that I think you're absolutely right. So, so that was his thing. It was Road Wild. Uh, there's a very famous shot. I'm sure everybody that has seen the match remembers of him headlocking Hulk Hogan. And the reason that it, it, it's so famous is because it happened for like 45 minutes. And the reason for that was because they had to make sure all of the photographers that were there, because Jay Leno was in the match, got a nice picture for the front page of the newspaper. Yes. And, you know, Leno came out in what, what like blue, uh, maybe Zumba pants or black Zumba pants and a, and a polo blue shirt. Yeah. No, I think it's a polo, but it may have been a T-shirt, but I think it was a blue polo. God uh, almighty, this was not ring gear. And this was, you know, to, to, to say it again, this was the, the, the main event of a pay-per-view. It yes. wasn't even like the second to last match. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're absolutely right. Now. Andy Kaufman is another guy that you wouldn't expect to see in a wrestling ring that had a wonderful run in Memphis wrestling against Jerry Lawler. And this is something, there's a documentary called I'm From Hollywood, as well as a great movie, you know, about Andy Kaufman called Man on the Moon, which really covers Jerry Lawler's involvement with the career of Andy Kaufman. This was a guy who put his all into becoming a wrestler. Yeah, he really was a, a, a an interesting individual, and it, yeah, it really seemed like he was even willing to throw his career away yeah, to, I know. To, to make it happen. I think he was far more interested in having a wrestling career than having a career as an actor. I don't think he liked acting. You know, I don't think he liked canned laughter and, and stuff that they did on Taxi. I think he really liked doing this. And so he had some wonderful moments with Jerry Lawler. I do believe that one day we'll do a whole show on the Lawler-Kaufman feud and a whole show on Man on the Moon just because there's so much to talk about on this. But one thing that I want to mention on this yes. is a few weeks ago – actually, I guess it was now last month um, – uh, Jerry Lawler, you know, the heart attack incident and then the follow-up where they made fun of the heart attack on television. Yes, I remember we talked about this. And here's what I want to mention. Jerry Lawler, who, you know, had to stand there and have his heart attack made fun of, 
This is the same guy that worked with Andy Kaufman, and after Andy died, kept kayfay on television about it. This is a guy who, when Andy Kaufman's death, which was shortly after his run as a wrestler, happened, he was like, oh, you know, that guy, I can't, I don't want to talk about him, you know. Whereas he was a real good friend of his and went to his funeral. So Jerry Lawler, uh, you know, a guy who is as deep into the business as you can imagine. And Andy Kaufman had a wonderful run with him. Again, the documentary, I'm from Hollywood, so worth seeing. Also, My Breakfast with Lassie. Yes, I was going to mention that as one that we definitely have to sit down and do. And I would almost argue that that is one that we do as a, one of our uh, our live episodes. Yeah, you're talking where we sit down, watch it, and then get our immediate response without any time to sit there and think and study and research. I love this documentary movie thing. I've seen it many times. I know all the ins and outs. I know who's a fake, who's a plant, who's real. Uh, and I really enjoy seeing the interplay. We have in our opening sequence every week that we play the standard opening, you always hear him saying, well, I've wrestled lots of women that are bigger than Jerry Lawler. And he's like, so you've wrestled fat, sloppy women. Fred Blassie was just a classic, classic entertainer. I mean, this guy was so perfect for movie roles. He did have to my knowledge, one movie role in Young Doctors in Love, but this was a guy who was really, really uh, a character, and him and Andy Kaufman just tear things up on this documentary movie comedy thing. Yeah, it's basically them eating breakfast yeah. at a diner. Yeah, there's no, they're at Sambo's in Los Angeles, uh, and they're just eating breakfast. And, yeah, they, and it runs like a full 90 minutes. Yeah, a little shorter, yeah. Like 80 it, uh, minutes. Pretty close, yeah. It is. Uh, it is great. It is a really, really fun, watchable thing. It's. I, I remember when it came out. There's a lot of people I've met over my life, including my father and my cousin, who really don't like Andy Kaufman, who just don't like him. Yeah, he was, if nothing else, polarizing. Yeah, and so I've always talked about him, and I'm, I, you know, I'm a huge fan, and I would talk about him, and they, uh, uh, and my cousin, who's a wrestling fan. I, I I gave him this VHS when it first came out, or at least when I first bought it. It may have been available for a while before that, but I bought it and I loaned it to him. And he's like, I really want to see this because I love Freddie Blassie, but I hate Andy Kaufman. And he was like, this is so great. Fred Blassie just tears it up. He's fantastic in that. So Andy Kaufman, a guy who, you know, put his career on the line to step into the wrestling ring, a guy we totally salute here on Camel Clutch Cinema. Yeah, and I got to tell you that if if I was putting together a list of the all time greatest heels in professional wrestling, <laughs> yes. he would be. I I I I can't believe you know I can't believe I'm saying this, but some yeah. of you might not believe it. I would put him in the top ten. You know, if you remember before Lawler had the heart attack, he had a run where he was wrestling Punk and Punk put the headphones on and did the I'm the King of Memphis, Tennessee. That was Andy Kaufman. Punk was doing an impression of Andy Kaufman. Uh, I think a lot of the guys, you know, in the back are fans of Andy Kaufman. I think Andy Kaufman, you know, had some wonderful moments, including a great clip on Letterman. I'm not going to spoil it. Google it and watch it. Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler on Letterman. It's absolutely wrestling gold. Yeah, and actually, Kaufman wore in his normal <laughs> life, a, a neck brace for a long period of time after yeah. 
no. or, or during his, his wrestling career. He sold it to the degree that his own family thought he broke his neck when Lawler Pyle drove him. And I thought it, until they made the movie, I thought that Lawler accidentally broke his neck. I mean, this guy was so great at selling. Let's talk about another little guy that got in the ring, Seth Green. Okay, yes. <laughs> this was... This was- during yeah. those uh, those guests, they had the guest host after uh, after Vince McMahon sold Raw to Donald Trump. Donald Trump made a rule that we had to have guest hosts, and he was one of the early ones. Yeah, and I'll tell you, he was one of those guys that came in. He seemed to have an, uh, at least a, a working knowledge of, of what was going on and seemed pretty happy to be there as well. Yeah, this is not a guy who said Summerfest like Jeremy Piven did. This was a guy who seemed to like it. Jeremy Piven also got in the ring and did a splash, but Seth Green tag teamed with, uh, with John Cena and Triple H against Randy Orton and Legacy, which was, um, uh, Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase yeah. Jr. So two sons, that was three sons was Legacy, was Randy Orton. All three of them had famous wrestling fathers. And he got in the ring and, you know, was protected, obviously, but he got in the ring and did a little bit. Yeah. And his team won. Triple H, John Cena, and Seth Green, obviously, overcoming legacy. And everybody went home happy. Absolutely. I got an interesting story about another little guy that that uh, wrestled in. And uh, let's, uh, let's spread it out for everybody. Gary Coleman had a very brief appearance in... WCW. Wow, I don't even think I I remember this. It's funny. I had to look up the pay-per-view because I wanted to talk about this because of the backstory I'll tell you in a minute. But he was at Fall Brawl 2000. So this is at the end of WCW when no one was watching. Yeah, they were months away from, uh, from uh, you know, disappearing. Yes, and as we talked about a couple weeks ago, this was around the time of Ready to Rumble. So in this time, Mike Awesome's wrestling Jeff Jarrett. He beats Jeff Jarrett in this bunkhouse brawl match. And during the match, Jarrett hits Gary Coleman with a guitar. And this was not one of those, um, the, the acoustic guitars that would shatter. <laughs> This was an electric guitar, a white electric guitar. Now, I'm sure it was gimmicked, but boy, it looked like he just killed Gary Coleman. And what was Coleman doing there? Was he at ringside? He was at ringside. I think maybe he announced the match or something. But, I mean, he had a very, very slim connection. But it was basically just Gary Coleman was probably in town, and they paid him to be there. Yeah. So this is one night. Nobody remembers this. If you go on YouTube, I think there's a clip that's that's titled something like Jeff Jarrett kills Gary Coleman because <laughs> literally he looks like he kills him with this. Here's the story I, I found out beyond that. At this point in time, I'm a big wrestling fan and I'm collecting wrestling props, you know, and I got some really good props on eBay at this time because eBay wasn't as big as it is now, and collecting wrestling memorabilia was still somewhat early, and so you could get things at a steal. And I almost bought that guitar. Okay, I just did a Google search. <laughs> of, of what, the actual hit? Yeah, the first thing that comes up is a clip called Gary Coleman Dies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and sadly, Gary is no longer with us, but this was long before he really died. And I uh, mean, actually, this... Uh, this, hey, oh, I'm watching it right now. He mm-hmm. he's multiple. He's low blowing Jeff Jarrett multiple times. He's up on the turnbuckle now. He's on the second rope, facing the crowd, bowing. 
He turns around. Jeff Jarrett is on his knees, and, and it's it's got to be coming soon. We're we're 22 seconds in. All right, keep going. Here it comes. The ref's trying to get him to leave. Up, uh, Jarrett's got his hands on him. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> he takes the shot, and he doesn't fall backward. He falls forward like um greg valentine style it's amazing rick flair yeah yes. now is it is my memory right is it an electric guitar um it looks like it could be one of those um electric slash acoustic guitars all right it's a white guitar though it is it's, a white guitar it's a, it's a thin body though so it it's definitely not like a full-bodied acoustic all right now this is what this is what i remember I was one of the bidders, and I was a losing bidder. I believe I bid up to $75 on that guitar. That guitar showed up on eBay a week after this pay-per-view. Wow. And the person that put it up said, I work at a hotel, and the cleaning staff brought this broken guitar to me after Gary Coleman had appeared on Monday Nitro. And they said Gary, which was incorrect, by the way, uh, this was a pay-per-view. But they said Gary Coleman appeared there, got this guitar hit over his head. It was signed by Jarrett and Mike Awesome. And Gary Coleman left it in his hotel room that night. Now, I don't know if it was because of the head injury or because he just, at this time, eBay, again, was not as big as it is today. And maybe he was like, what am I doing with this piece of junk? I'm not going to, I have to check this. I'm going to put this in my luggage. Forget it. I'm going to leave it here. Uh, if he was smart, he could have made 75 bucks off of it because I would have given him 75 for it. But somebody gave him slightly more than 75 bucks for this signed, broken guitar. Goodness, that just made my day. I mean, uh, a really, really nice, you know, you know, happy thought for Gary Coleman there. I mean, it looks like he was having a good time. I mean, celebrating and stuff like that. That's how I want to remember him. Yeah, Gary Coleman, uh, a guy that uh, uh, people our age have have fond memories of watching as a kid, and then sad memories of watching as an adult. Yeah, he was one of those guys that was that he he came to be a child star at a time where Child stars weren't protected like they are now. Yeah, not at all. You know, it's it's a real, 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 I, you know, I, I want to say, you know, I think it's fair to say tragedy. Yeah. No, yeah. you're absolutely right. And, and I mean, some guys survive that. Some guys thrive. You know, some children, child stars thrive and they go forward. Uh, but Gary Coleman had all kinds of family problems and he did not thrive in it and had a had a relatively miserable life. And, you know, by comparison. Webster, Emmanuel Lewis, then that show was based on the fact that Alex, Alex Karras and his wife, Susan Clark, watched different strokes, saw Gary Coleman and, and literally said, I think we can do our own version of this. <laughs> I mean, that's not that's not an exaggeration. That's what they said. Yeah. Uh, and and they saw that and they did they did their show with Emmanuel Lewis. Here's a guy who seems so well adjusted, lives out of the limelight, has had very little problems, did have some financial problems, but hasn't had the same kind of problems that Gary had in his lifetime. Yeah, and I mean Gary Coleman had, you know, he had the health issues too. I mean, he was on dialysis from a mm -hmm. very young age, so you know, really really stacked against him. Uh, health let, issues, know. yeah, and anger issues. Had had a lot of anger oh. issues. Yeah. And he also was a big uh train collector i remember there was it might have been on e there was a show called celebrity yes. dating or something like that where 
celebrities would go on dates with normal people and he went on a date with a girl and he took her to see uh, all of his model trains. This is so funny you mentioned this. When he passed away, they were auctioning off his train collection and somebody in Los Angeles owns it. And it's like a guy, I don't remember, but I believe he owns a train store. And so you can go see Gary Coleman's trains, I believe, to this day. Wow, okay. I do know on that episode his his his, his train collection was stored off-site. It wasn't at his house. Let's go to a guy for future generations. So our generation, the older guys listening, that's Gary Coleman. But kids today, Freddie Prince Jr. was a guy they watched when they were kids. And if you go to his wiki page, the last line in his opening paragraph is, he currently works for WWE as a producer and director. Yeah, and at one point he was even on the writing staff. Yeah, I mean, this is really interesting. Here's a guy who was a big Hollywood star and still is. And for whatever reason, likes the life of wrestling. He went to WWE 2008, worked behind the scenes for a year, which from what I've heard from other, other writers, seems to be the amount of time that is perfect to work there. You work there for a year, and that almost seems to be the rule. that After a year you kind of start getting out. And then if you're going to come back, you come back later. But it, it, the being on the road and all the work and the fact that you're writing 24 hours a day, you know, if you're after a match, you go out to dinner with Michael Hayes at a bar, you're still writing. You know, yes. apparently it's a full-time thing. So it's very interesting that the star of the Scooby-Doo movies and She's All That and a whole bunch of other movies went to, to work for WWE 2008 to 2009, left WWE, came back as one of the guest hosts and had a wonderful guest hosting job and then returned and from 2010 on has been working backstage. Yeah. That's... Do you remember when he was the host? Do you remember the storyline? I do not remember the storyline. I do remember that night, though. I mean, I, I at least have... You know, memories of him holding the microphone and stuff. Here's what here's what what stands out in my mind. Randy Orton did that inverted backbreaker he does where he would he actually doesn't do it much anymore, but he would reach back and grab your head and then do that move where he'd he'd fall, you know, fall down and you'd snap over his back. And it's one of those moves that I think wouldn't hurt as much if you did it as it does watching. Yes. And he did it, and it looked legit to me. And they had medics come in, and then they they said, oh, we took him to the local hospital, and then he came back at the end of the night. But it was one of those nights where I'm watching, and I'm like, I don't know if he's really hurt or not. You know, I don't know. I can't tell. And it yeah. was really good. And it was odd to me that here's a guy who had such a connection to wrestling that he should be on camera a lot. At this point... They're putting guest hosts on like Al Sharpton, who should be on camera for more than one segment. So I was disappointed that he was injured, but I thought it was great how he sold it when he eventually came back. Yeah. Uh, He then appeared on WWE TV later, and this is a really interesting segment. At the end of Linda's first failed Senate campaign, and I got to tell you, I don't I don't live in Connecticut, so I really don't care who represents them in the Senate, but I feel bad for the McMahons that they're spending all this money. 
to try to win. I mean, this is a lot of money they've been spending. And as fans of their product, I want them to win just because it's like if you know someone that is trying to do something, you kind of want them to succeed. Now, I guess if I lived in Connecticut, I'd say, you know, either yes, I think they'd be good for the, the state or bad for the state. But as a as an outsider, as a wrestling fan, I just think, wouldn't it be great if Vince McMahon's wife had some some level of power somewhere? Yes. And the worst thing about it really is the the day after or the you know or you know where you look at the pictures from her making her concession speech and you see Triple H there and you see <laughs> Stephanie and yes. uh, this this year you even saw Vince and they just look completely devastated. It's I a mean, a ton of money that they pour into losing. Ah. Yes. Ah, so anyway, after the first campaign was winding down, this was Monday night, the night before she was set to lose. That campaign, she really, really was behind. The one that just happened, she was behind as well. Uh, and I think both times they went into it knowing they would lose. But the first campaign, it was a big deal. And so they had had this thing where they wouldn't talk about wrestling uh, they wouldn't talk on the wrestling show about her campaign. But the night before, they did a whole dream sequence where Vince woke up after having been beaten up by the Nexus months before. And Freddie Prince Jr. was his doctor. And, and Vince had a bunch of McMahon for Senate stickers on him. And then he had a Blumenthal one running down his backside. <laughs> very, That's very classic funny. Vince humor for you. Yeah, that was Vince's, and you know what? I think to a degree, Vince was probably like, "Well, that was worth fifty million." <laughs> yeah. um, so Freddie Prince Jr., you know, uh, interesting that this guy, you know, works there now. Very interesting works behind the scenes. Uh, another guy I want to mention real quick who worked behind the scenes was Patrice O'Neill, the comedian. Yes, and he was. I still remember an interview with him where he talked about. When he worked there, he kept saying that they got to give Test a push. Yeah, he liked Test. I mean, he was all about pushing Test. God, God rest his soul. He's a guy who who left the earth too soon. But uh, funny comedian. We both saw him in person. I remember once and really enjoyed seeing him live. And I'm not a huge fan of seeing stand up comedy in person because I'm always afraid they're going to point at me and say something horrific. But he was great, really, really funny, and uh, another guy who worked backstage in WWE, just like Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah, and actually, I'm waiting for the time where they're start- they make documentaries about you know this era, and Freddie Prince starts showing up at like sort of like Kevin Dunwood or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you know, to talk about the product from a behind the scenes standpoint. Yeah. Uh, a guy who reminds me of Andy Kaufman in a lot of ways is John Hader. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. He was probably my I'd have to say with with the exception of, you know, uh, some non-human hosts. He's probably my favorite. Wait wait a minute. Wait, who are your non-human hosts? Is it the Uh, laptop? (laughs) (laughs) Who was who was the non-human? So Muppets? Yes, the Muppets. Ah, okay. Uh, All right. All right. We'll get to them next. But I would have to say that he is probably my favorite, you know, guest host slash guest star uh, of the last couple years. Yeah, he hosted with Don Johnson. They were doing some movie that was like only in Paris or something. When in Rome. Okay, whatever it was. And this was back in January of 2010, and he came out as the Blue Flame, and he was tagging with Miz 
and Big Show, and and he was like, you know, we're uh, we're our team is called Friendship, and God, he was a great heel. I I. I have noticed his his movie career, you know, it started with Napoleon Dynamite and he got some really big hits. Uh Balls of Blades of Blades of Glory, what was yes. it? Blades of Glory, the the uh, figure skating movie with Will Ferrell. He also did the one Benchwarmers, Benchwarmers, with, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. So he did a lot of different movies, you know, that was a sports comedy much like Ready to Rumble. And so he did a lot of different movies over the years that were pretty high profile, but it seems like he's kind of fallen off. And God, I hope one day he picks up the phone and calls Vince, maybe calls Freddie Prince Jr. and comes back to be the blue flame again. Yeah, they should call him. I mean, I would have, I mean, I think he would work so well. You pair him up with somebody in like the, 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 even the Vicky Guerrero role where he is somebody's mouthpiece. And I'm telling you, he would draw instant heat who for with you know whoever's with him. Yeah, let's talk about some inanimate objects like the Muppets. The Muppets appeared on Raw Halloween 2010. They showed up in some backstage segments. This was the appearance that I believe made Sheamus a face. Sheamus had turned <laughs> face, but this was the appearance that made people totally accept it. Was him backstage with Beaker pretending that he was related to Beaker. Yeah, and I tell you, this was one of, and I, you know, it was one of the most emotional moments that I've ever seen on Raw in terms of just really making me feel good. You know, it really embraced sort of that be a star campaign. Beaker is being bullied backstage, and and um, yes, yes, by Jack Swagger. Well, no, Jack Swagger was bullying. Was he bullying? He might have been bullying Beaker. I know he bullied Gonzo at one point. But yes, yes. And Seamus comes backstage and uh, saves the day, and then it, it's revealed that Seamus is related to Beaker. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. And uh, I tell you, I mean, it really, I mean, as corny as it sounded, really warmed my heart. I it mean, really did. Just, it was so well done. It yeah. was so, so well done. This was about a month before the Thanksgiving weekend release of The Muppets, the film, and it was such a great cross-promotional tie-in. Yeah, I mean, the only drawback to this is there weren't enough Muppets, but the stuff that does have the Muppets is was so good. And, and I think people have since cut together all of their appearances as mm-hmm. one long YouTube or whatever. Yeah. But it really, um, it really was one of the craziest, you know, things you'll see in, in, in wrestling. You know, there's puppets interacting with humans. Uh, it was really just like, you know, an episode uh, or, you know, a theatrical version of the Muppets. I mean, they were interacting with us like they were real real people or real frogs and <laughs> yes indeed you did get to get uh, a wonderful scene with uh hornswoggle who's such a big muppet fan he has muppet tattoos and he was showing them to miss piggy and eventually got a karate chop you got to see beaker come down to ringside give a potion to <laughs> santino so he could beat jack swagger you got to see the uh, uh, Stadler and Waldorf, the two old guys up in the box making jokes about wrestling and doing the "You can't see me," and but I can't hear you was the gag. I mean, really, really funny stuff. Yeah. Oh man, it makes me want to go back and watch all that that episode of Raw again right now. It really is a classic. Let's uh, talk about another puppet. Chucky, you would always tell me about this because I know you saw Chucky appear on WCW TV, and I didn't see it until the YouTube age. Tell me about Chucky's appearance with Rick Steiner. 
this was uh, promoting Bride of Chucky. There was an in-ring interview with Rick Steiner and Mean Gene where basically uh, Chucky, a puppet voiced by uh, Brad Dourif, uh, basically out-promos Rick Steiner. <laughs> so great. So, so great. And uh, he, po- he, he pops up on their version of the, of the Tron. I don't remember what they called the Nitro version of the Titan Tron. Right. And he but, argues uh, with, with him and a little bit with Gene Okerlund. Gene Okerlund gets his a little bit during this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Chucky comes out of that having served up everybody. Around this time, you also got Capital Combat, The Return of RoboCop. Sting's buddy RoboCop. RoboCop was like, he was Sting's friend. He comes down to ringside in slow motion. This was just absurd, beyond absurd. And he then breaks the bars of a cage that Sid and a bunch of other people and the four horsemen had put Sting into. Just one of the craziest moments in wrestling history. Yeah, and this is actually, uh, if you've watched the the web series that WWE does, uh, Are You Serious? Oh, sure, yes. Sort of their, you know, it's their less um, than stellar moments in wrestling history. This moment actually makes the opening montage of scenes As it uh, that they use in Are You Serious each week. It's, it's Robocop ripping the door off of the off of the cage and Jim uh, Jim Ross JR is calling this Sting Buddy Robocop. You can see that that was another moment where JR was probably saying, "Goodness, I hate my I hate my <laughs> professional life right now." Let me throw out a couple more real quick. One was before SummerSlam 1994, Leslie Nielsen as the Frank Drebin character from Naked Gun. Essentially, they never say that, but that's who he was playing, was looking for Undertaker because Undertaker was missing. And then him and George Kennedy both showed up essentially playing those characters at SummerSlam. Yes, I remember those. I remember those uh, those those vignettes. And and many weeks ago, we talked about the Three Stooges showing up on Raw when we were talking about Jesse Ventura cameos and the Ringer and how that was the Ferrelli brothers who also brought everybody the new Three Stooges. And that was a weird segment where they brought these guys playing the Three Stooges on Raw, playing the characters, not playing themselves, playing the characters. Yes. And then you have Curly breaking character to impersonate Hulk Hogan. Right. Very odd. Uh, Meanwhile, we've had a few people appear as themselves. Drew Carey appeared in the 2001 Royal Rumble where he got entrance to it, went down to the ring, and then, you know, The Undertaker came out and he got real nervous and he he pulled money out of his sweatsuit pocket and tried to Uh, pay The Undertaker off and eventually just threw himself out of the ring. And he got into the Hall of Fame for this. Yes, and this is one of the, the the main things I love about the Royal Rumble, uh, but and also the reason that I dislike that the winner gets a shot at the yes. the, the title at <laughs> at WrestleMania is you can get goofy guys like Drew Carey coming out, or you can get returning superstars who you haven't seen in years, and it just really makes for a fun experience waiting to see who's coming out. But you know when Drew Carey comes out that he's not going to be around. I don't know. I got very nervous. I just started thinking WrestleMania main event, you know, with the with Edge versus, you know, Drew Carey. You had a David Arquette moment. I did. Uh, another guy who, who, who appeared on wrestling a bunch of times and has been a guest host and I think should be in the Hall of Fame, William Shatner. He, you know... Oh. 
He and, appeared uh, on the King's Court. Had some. If you look that up, him and Jerry Lawler, the second best Jerry Lawler and celebrity run ever behind Andy Kaufman, obviously. But Shatner was fantastic in that run. Yeah, he ends up, and he ends up flipping Lawler in that clip. Yeah, yeah, interesting, interesting clip. And a guy that you know at the time he was promoting, he was doing some kind of TV Tech show. War. Tech, Tech War. War. Yes, yes. <laughs> Which was a series of books that he wrote that were eventually turned into a comic book and then eventually turned into Canadian-made TV movies uh, starring Greg Evigan of BJ and the Bear. Uh, they've been running on TV lately, and I've been watching them. Oh, my God. So great. Uh, Johnny Knoxville and Steve O came out and wrestled Umaga many years ago. and. <laughs> They got they got they got really really jobbed out. I mean, they just came out and they were in the ring, and then Umaga came out, beat them down, and then the rumors were that management was very unhappy with the fact that they were they were seen on camera laughing. It's hard to say because of the characters that they were playing in their movie, you know, Jackass, the characters, you know, which were essentially them, but they they were impervious to pain to a degree and they enjoyed doing stupid things so it's it's hard to say whether that was a legit you know issue or not but uh steve o never appeared again or at least hasn't but johnny knoxville did appear as a raw guest host during the whole guest hosting phase yeah and i'm trying to remember what it was for it was for jackass 2 or 3d or you know one of those and they had the giant hand that appears in that jackass film and the giant hand actually clubbed Ted DiBiase at one point. Yeah, and Johnny Knoxville has another wrestling connection. He was in the Walking Tall remake uh, with uh, with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, right? As well as The Ringer, which has a cameo by Jesse Ventura and Terry Funk. Yeah, wow. So the last guy I want to mention, Hugh Jackman, huge, <laughs> huge, huge star. Yeah, arguably, probably one of the the biggest stars to appear on. As a as a guest host guest slash guest star, you know during this this recent run, uh, the last couple of years, yeah, he that was promoting. in 2011. He showed up to promote that Rock of Sockham Robots movie. Yeah, the real steal. And I'll tell you, what a great appearance. He was great. He punched off Ziggler, and there is. Hollywood Reporter reported that it was a work. A lot of other people, including Dolph on his on his Twitter, said, no, I really broke my jaw. So there was a lot of rumors whether that was kayfay or not. So we may never know, but it was a wonderful, wonderful appearance. Yeah, he was another one of those guys that he was there. And I guess, you know, this speaks to how professional he is, but he didn't seem like he was there taking a paycheck. Yeah, exactly. So some top-notch guys have shown up in the ring. Oh, yeah. And this is how we close out the year 2012, Craig. Yeah, I guess I'll see you in 2013. 2013, we're going to have all kinds of fantastic movies for you, including wrestlers and wrestling. So we will see you then, and we will enjoy it all over again here on Camel Clutch Cinema. I'm doing love scenes with Jennifer Tilly, and you're calling me a dummy? Play it again. Yeah. We call you. You're a dummy. What's the matter? For a guy who never shuts up, you sure don't have much to say, mean Gene. Just just a second here, uh, uh, Chucky. Shut the hell up.